When it comes to business travel in Orlando, it's never business as usual. Oh, sure, I could go on for days about all the incredible places to hold meetings or the Michelin dining or the innovative industries that'll make you feel right at home. But Dr. Michael Edwards of Ocean Insight said it best. Orlando is as much a business capital as an entertainment one. So dive in and see what's happening in Orlando, where the possibilities for business travel are unbelievably real. Learn more at Orlando for business.com the money show business unusual with colin colors Colin Cullis is our business unusual correspondent and what is unusual in south africa in terms of business is trains <laughs> we don't have many of them um the session saldana line is very good i'm told that the line from roslyn to Kribeja to the port in Mucha, um working well in terms of vehicle exports but if you're trying to get a commuter train anywhere in south africa you better not hold your breath because you may pass out due to a lack of oxygen um we've allowed our rail networks to become severely denuded um and in some cases could destroy it completely um south africa's latest national sport is cable theft and kilometers of the stuff are being stolen on a daily basis and we're seeing a huge amount of cable theft we're also seeing a huge amount of uh, railway sleepers being stolen as people just remove entire railway lines as there's no traffic and there's no disruption to their extramural activities but colin Cullis seems to think and i i i hope he's right um that there's an enormous opportunity still for rail in south africa is there colin Yes, there is. Um, And I suppose the starting point for that, Bruce, would have to be that uh, South Africa is lucky or has worked hard enough in the past to actually build up the most comprehensive network on all the continent. There are tens of thousands of kilometers of rail infrastructure right across the country for most of the seriously economic regions and and a lot of places connecting those to sort of minor Uh, economic regions, um, to the point where if you had to add up all of the kilometers of track available to the other countries, and certainly SADC countries, we absolutely dominate that. But the the challenge has been, you know, how it's been used. And that's led to the current state and unfortunately not not a short-term problem and not a short-term fix. It is worth noting, though, um, I'd hardly think I'd be talking about railways as a business unusual, high-tech, fancy, amazing, but rail was our original transport industrial revolution before that the only things we could claim for saying wow that was brilliant was domesticating animals that would allow us to sit on them or get a wheel and of course the rail the railway that original notion of taking the steam engine which created the industrial revolution which is very heavy and very hard to control so sticking it on a track making it run in a very straight line or as straight as possible um, did wonders for being able to transport everything everywhere. It did create a lot of chaos initially, um, but nevertheless, we find ourselves now with a fantastic mode of transport that is in a very, very bad state. One, as you say, cable theft. This is the issue that has got it in the news at the moment. Kilometers per day sometimes being stolen. Absolute fortunes to replace while not being able to use the service. And almost as soon as the services are returned, the cables get stolen again. Uh, Then there is the issue of the pandemic and people not being able to move. And as a consequence of that and the much longer term problem with state capture uh, and particularly um, some questionable security deals, it appears that many stations and sections of rail, uh, because there was nobody around, had been focused on and absolutely destroyed. Whole stations that are basically need to be rebuilt. In Cape Town, the same issues where, where trains effectively couldn't run 
uh, allowed desperate people who are in need of housing to effectively build their homes on the tracks. And, and the notion of saying, well, you know, just kick people out, hardly something you do during a pandemic, but leaving them there and not allowing a network that could transport thousands of people per day very efficiently, very cheaply, is, is a non-starter. It cannot be allowed to continue. And there are some thoughts that say, as the shift from sort of illegal mining has become less and less profitable and more and more dangerous, then you know, mining natural resources that occur on the long side of railway tracks or, or power lines uh, is becoming a good alternative. Um, and then, of course, this is all compounded by the very wrong choices that have been made repeatedly by the government, thinking it can have the best of both worlds without understanding this is a very big infrastructure project and needs to be treated that way. Last week, we, we spoke about this notion of a just transition, and the rail network is one of those occasions where South Africa got the just transition wrong. Um, this is an intro from a documentary that was done, and I want to read it to you, and then I'll give you the date because you'll get some sense from there. Once the center of South Africa's economy and life, the railway network is now withered and died, leaving those that have been dependent on it with nothing. Once thriving towns lie derelict, the last few residents barely scratching a living. These towns were built for the railway. They supplied its workers and its commerce. But now the railway has become so inefficient, it is no longer economical. The government is left with a quandary to sell off the railways or to try to revitalize it with public funds. That was an excellent piece done by that grand old documentary show called Special Assignment in <laughs> 2001. Wow. Two decades later, the same issue needs to be addressed, except at that time, they were showing how when, at the time, Spurnet did decide to simply shut down anything that wasn't worth it, as they pulled their head in to cut costs, left communities right across the country that had were built up alongside those railway lines to fall into complete uh, dereliction and, and, and disrepair. And so that, in some respects, is something we do want to avoid, because at some point, those nodes will become vital again. And so you don't just abandon them and think, oh, well, we'll rebuild it when they come back. That is crazily expensive. So make sure that you can do it in a way that is manageable. The other element with the rail network that has been, let's not say a misstep, but something that people didn't consider properly at the time was as the opportunities with road infrastructure started improving and the flexibility that trucking gave and containerization gave effectively meant that trains with their very regimented time schedules and very specific pickup and dropper points became less flexible than a truck that could arrive with varying sizes at any time of the day or night, pick up your load, ride through to exactly where you needed to deliver and drop it off. Now, that has led to part of what we have as the problem. And of course, anybody that's been on the roads will tell you that having to dodge trucks and drive up and down these, you know, that's not, not the ideal. Uh, but this is, this is where we find ourselves. And unfortunately, even with the most recent recovery plan that the government has put out, it is littered with the kind of notions of saying, we have to do this very big infrastructure program, but effectively we're trying to do tra uh, transformation and, and give small businesses an opportunity to become part of the economy. And quite honestly, that's not what you do with big infrastructure projects. Big infrastructure projects allow small businesses to get the, you know, enable themselves to be able to move things around cheaply, efficiently, to be able to get workers to and from wherever they want to live to where they need to get to for those jobs. You don't try and have a small company run a rail network any more so than you'd have some small company try and supply coal or build uh, power stations. There are very specific competences you need. And if you don't have them, those, mm. those people should not be looking to, to take part. Now, that's not to say that there isn't an opportunity for that, because there is, but just not in the way that the government seems to want to keep 
going backwards to do those things. In, in this particular one, what they seem to be suggesting is that the, the trouble is with the procurement and the time it takes to procure something. And so by reducing those things, not cutting red tape, by giving people the chance to say, I can fudge things or, or cut a corner, we're just setting ourselves up for the exact same trouble that led to us getting here in the first place. So that's the sort of uh, general issue of the, of the state of the network, but it's probably also useful as a bit of a primer to understand how does this all work? Because again, as I disappear down the rabbit hole, that is the railway networks and becoming a minor league train spot over the last two <laughs> days. Um, it is really quite fascinating. So first of all, I suppose the, the notion is uh, how many track gauges we get. And I kind of assumed train tracks are train tracks and the trains run on them. But there are 15 different widths of train track. Uh, from very narrow ones to very broad ones. South Africa has opted for the, 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 generally speaking, they call it the Cape Gauge, but it's generally a more narrow track, about a meter, a meter wide, uh, which favors if you have to cut through mountain passes and very tricky terrain, well, then you're not using up too much space, so it's a lot cheaper to do that. The wider tracks, and we do have one of them, it's the Gau train, it's called the Standard Gauge, about 1.4 meters. That allows for speed and comfort. So the Gau train is capable of reaching speeds of up to 160 k's an hour because it has the wider track. The rest of the terrain network is probably capped at somewhere around 100, 120 for safety's sake, given the width of it. And then there's the kind of trains that run on them. And most of us assume, well, there's the, the electric trains and then there's the diesel trains, when in fact the diesel train is simply a, a, an electric train with a diesel generator on it. So it doesn't need the overhead wires in order to power the trains, but it uses the, the big diesel engine basically to run a generator and that powers the electric one. And that unfortunately is one of the things that um, Prasa, Metrorail, Transnet has had to resort to having to use in urban areas because the amount of interruptions has been to cable theft. And, and while they are very effective for getting you long distances when there isn't that infrastructure, running big diesel engines in urban areas make a racket are very polluting and are very expensive to run compared to the sort of electric ones. And so that is a big hassle. The, the high-tech version that's coming down the line, not that it's high-tech, but it's just new, is the hydrogen fuel cell electric trains. And there, I think there is some uh, possibilities for us to be able to, to address that. But that's going to be a little further down the line. The actual fixing would come with us identifying those hotspots where the networks are regularly affected. And specifically looking to building things, some people are saying get drones flying everywhere. I think that's over-engineering it. The circuits are broken up into sections. When the power is cut, you can tell you've lost power. By adding in smaller uh, increments, because sometimes those circuits are kilometers long, you can see where along that line the power has been cut. And effectively, make sure you've got rapid response teams in those areas. Time how long it'll take you to get to the various parts so that you're not getting there to see that the cables have been cut and stolen, you're getting there to see that the cables have been cut. So the issue isn't replacing cable, it's simply reconnecting it. Big rewards potentially for the for the big fish that are organizing this make sense to me because it's not a case of, I just got myself five kilometers of copper cable, I'll pop down to the local uh, scrap shop and, and get myself some cash. This is way more organized than that. So being able to take it out at the top should mean nobody's gonna have the infrastructure and the time and the, and the ability to get hold of it. And then the final one, and this is where the hydrogen comes back in, is to get rid of the cables altogether. Now, it's not really a practical thing for us in the short term, but railways aren't built for five-year cycles or 10-year cycles. They're built to last for centuries. And here, the uh, hydrogen fuel cell uh, trains, which are being pioneered at the moment by a company called Elstrom, happens to be the same company that South Africa has partnered with to build the Gabela uh, Consortium in Danatar. I did not even know where that was in South Africa. Danata. 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 My apologies. 
Yeah, oh, come on. It could be the, the, the site for the resurgence of all South Africa's things, because that is where Ulstrom has a, 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 a Prasa-coordinated uh, uh, building thing. They're busy building all of the rolling stock that once the train stations are fixed and the cables are sorted, the trains can be rolling out from there. But using this uh, hydrogen fuel cell, one, it uses literally hydrogen and oxygen. It makes water. That is the sum total of what it puts out. Mm. It is silent while it does that, and it provides electricity. <sighs> that is probably going to be the way forward. It's probably some years down the line. We need to be more realistic about how we identify the short-term problems mm. if we're going to tackle this thing seriously. If we're going to have a business at all by the time they're ready, because I just yesterday in the transaction capital results and transaction capital, amongst the other things that they do, um, help uh, taxi owners own their taxis. They fund about 15% of the taxis on South Africa's roads. They say there's been a 64% drop in the use of rail between 2013 and 2020. And that's hardly surprising because rail has just deteriorated so badly. They've pushed their customers onto the roads. The roads are therefore more congested, more taxis on the roads, more rage, more frustration, more, 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 more. Good for the profits of transaction capital, but dreadful for everybody else, including the people who have been forced into the taxis. I'm sure they'd much rather use rail and hopefully it makes a comeback. Thank you, Colin Cullis. Business unusual on a Wednesday evening.